All right, this week we are in for a treat. Uh, one of my good friends is here to speak for us today, speak to us today. Um, Scott Crawford, who is an associate pastor at Vintage 242 Church, which is one of our plants that's up the road in Dallas, is here. If you want to come on up, I want to pray for you. Give him a nice Riverstone welcome. So as you become a Christian and you get discipled and you learn more about the Lord, there's people that God puts in your life that just, I mean, just mean a lot to you in your walk, helping you, counseling you, that kind of thing. And this is one of those guys for me. Scott's been an amazing friend uh, in many, many different ways. I appreciate how he submits himself to the Lord, and I'm so excited for whatever it is that God has for him this morning. So I want to pray for you and just let you have at it. Lord, thank you so much for Scott. I just thank you for the call that you have on his life. I thank you for the purpose. I thank you for the future that you have for him. We just give him to you today. We ask that you would speak through him and just make him feel at home in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brad. I'm honored to be here with you guys. Um, uh, I went to University of Georgia, and I was a part of Tom and Melissa's campus ministry uh, 23 years ago. Uh, I... I you know, met this guy named Tom Tanner, and um, we had a common interest. We both liked to play golf. I was on the golf team at Georgia, and, and uh, you know, as we were sitting in worship, I just, this is one of the first memories I have of Tom. We, I guess we had gone and played golf together, and, uh, and Tom always hit a, hit a slice. And that for a right-hander, that means the ball curves to the right. And, and if you only know how to hit the ball where it curves to the right, then then it's really hard to control. And some days you just spend the whole time in the woods. And that was what Tom's experience was that day. And I said, you know, Tom, if, if you want me to help you with that slice, if you want to spend just five or 10 minutes on the range, you know, after we're done, I can help you in being able to control that slice and be able to hit the ball differently. And so we went up to the range and Tom was eager, right? Because he'd had a bad day and, and that's what golf is. It's just a game, it's misnamed. It should be just named frustration, Right. I tell people don't play, don't start, you know, it's just frustrating. And so, you know, but it, it was a bad day. And so we get on the range. So Tom is eager to hear what I might have to say. And so I just give him this little quick lesson. And five minutes later, Tom's hitting a draw. And that means you can curve the ball to the left for, for a right-hander. And he's like, and, and when you hit a draw, you hit the ball further. And so Tom is like looking at me like, I'm the best thing since sliced bread and like he's ready to go tee it up and play all over again. And, and that was 1996, and I don't think Tom's hit a slice since 1996. Like he still hits a draw today and, um, and is a fantastic golfer. And so, but in my mind, that, that, that story came to me as we were in worship because today in my mind, I felt like the Lord just showed me this is just a moment as to a guy who God used to change the direction in my life. This is a moment to come to him, you know, as a nephew in the, in the kingdom and say, church, let me help you with that slice. There's something more that God has in store for you that goes farther, that's better. And when you know how to hit a draw, you can know how to control your slice. But until you know how to hit a draw, you just have days that just feel hopeless. 
And the reality is that there are times, there are moments in the kingdom, there are times and moments in our lives that, that coaching and a challenge is the thing that we need most. I mean, you know, if you're a golfer and you're struggling on the, on the golf course, well, then you probably need a tip from a pro or a better golfer just say, hey, you're doing this because it's hard to see for yourself. And so that the purpose of, of meeting up with a golf pro or getting a lesson from somebody else is to, to take, you may be a good golfer, but you can be better. And so there may be a challenge that comes in that lesson. There may be a challenge that comes in, okay, why don't you try doing this differently? And and, and that's what a healthy challenge brings to our life. And I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that where we don't look and desire to have challenge spiritually in our lives, then we are missing the kingdom of God. We are missing the more that God has for you and for me. And so this morning comes with a challenge. You know, Jesus was a guy who challenged people. I mean, it's, it's great to imagine Jesus Christ that we know who, who died on the cross for our, for our sins and give our lives to him. But there's also a challenge that he offers in what is represented. He says, daily, take up your cross. Come and die with me. Come and give your life to to something more. You know, Jesus challenged people on a regular basis. We like to think of him as a really nice guy, and he was because he was always loving. But you can be loving and and challenging in the kingdom. And that's what this moment is about for for us. Is like, you know, it'd be great to be a guest speaker somewhere and just come and like, let me give you a shot in the arm and boost you up. But, you know, there's something more that God has in store for us, and that's the value in a challenge. is always about something better. You see, Jesus went into the temple courts, and he saw these money changers changing money and selling doves to be able to be sacrificed. And this is how they made their living. And the next thing you know, Jesus is flipping over tables. Because there was something better that this court could use for. He said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. And so he challenged what was taking place because there was something more that this place was intended to be about. Jesus finds himself in a conversation with, uh, with a rich young man who lived such a good life, who lived a righteous life, who tried to do good things. And he said, what more you know, can I ask? And, the, and, and Jesus said, he could see something in his heart. He said, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and come and follow me. You see, Jesus was inviting him to something more that he had in store for him than what he had apart from that challenge. And, you know, we look at Jesus and we just had a, he's just had a conversation with his disciples, you know, and that he asked, who, do, who are people saying that I am? And, and people give different responses. And then, then Peter speaks up. He said, you're the son, the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus commends him. He said, you know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the spirit and on this, I'm going to build my church, right? This, this reality. And, and so, but in the very next moment, as Jesus begins to predict his death, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be crucified, Peter again speaks up and says, you know, now he's, now he's got this moment. He's got some confidence. He, Jesus just said some really good things to him. He's like, okay, I'm ready to speak again, Peter. And Peter, Peter just speaks up and says, you know, no, Lord, that can't be what is in store for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you do not have in mind the things of God, but instead the things of man. That correction, that challenge, was that Jesus was speaking to this thing that that you're, you're thinking in the way that the world thinks. You're thinking in the concept and the mindset of a man, and you don't have in mind the things of God. That there was a correcting moment that Peter learned a, a harsh lesson, but a valuable lesson that we are to live our lives with our mind fixed on the things of God, not the things of man. 
And as I came into the building this morning, I got here a little early and I went into the lobby and, um, and sat there and prayed for a minute and I got this picture. And so I'm here to throw out a challenge. My encouragement to you in, in, in setting this up, my encouragement to you is to hear something of greater value and to be in a place that you can hear this challenge as a beautiful thing, not as a harsh thing. The picture that I got was that who you are as Riverstone Church is this amazingly beautiful place. And God has poured out his water into this place, but it is time to be the river that he has called you to be, and you become a lake. You become a lake. And what this lake is, is that what the good news and the generosity and the the value of the greatness of God is pinned up primarily in the behind the doors of this place and God wants to release you today through those doors and break through the dam into the goodness of who God's calling you to be outside these walls that he desires for the goodness of what he's doing in here to break out of this place and go and change the world because he has called you to be a river And it is not a bad thing that you're here and you're wet. It is not a bad thing that you're here and you're swimming and there is is water here. There is a, a beautiful time of worship. Like this is a beautiful thing, but is this happening in your workplace, in your cubicle? Because we're crying out and we're inviting. It is, it is, I gave the no instruction on what song to sing, but that last song that we just sang, Let Your Kingdom Come, is the reality of what God wants to have take place in your life and my life. And it's got to happen, not just in here, but out there. And that's what this challenge, that's what this message is about this morning, that God, when Jesus Christ came, and we see the beginning of his, his ministry, we look at Matthew chapter 4, I don't have that verse for you, then Matthew chapter 4, I think it's verse 17, Jesus begins his ministry, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is now available to you. The kingdom of God has come. You see, we've, 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 I think we've twisted and we found ourselves living in the reality of a gospel message that is about the kingdom of God is now available to us and that, that when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and we receive his spirit into ourselves, then we get to have a, a life transformation that's taking place and that when we die because now our sins are forgiving, we get to go from, up, from down here up there. And that's a beautiful thing. But that's not the gospel that Jesus preached. That's just a part of it. The gospel that Jesus preached is that now up there has come down here. And there is a gospel, there is a power, there is a kingdom that is available for you and I to walk in. That we don't have to wait for up there one day. We don't have to wait for our death to be able to enter into and to participate in the kingdom of God and experience the presence of God and know the goodness of God and know the reality of God, we get to experience that here and now and we get to walk in that kingdom. We get to be led by that spirit. We get to walk in a different reality. You say, I don't think we can understand Christianity without understanding kingdoms. A king is reigning wherever his rule is being obeyed and wherever he is governing, right? So where we are living in accordance with, you know, the rules and the laws of America, well, then we're living in accordance with what is right according to American laws, right? Where a king is ruling and where he is governing, then that kingdom is being present. 
And many of you know, I mean, you know, just because we get on a plane and we go to a, a closed country doesn't mean that the constitution of the kingdom of God is not a real reality in your life. You still have authority and you still have the ability to function. All right. You still have the ability, you still have the authority to function in the kingdom and to worship God in a closed country just like you did this morning. My question that I want you to ponder this morning is, what more does God have for me? Because where friends, I can't do this for you, where you fail to walk out of that door and not breach the dam, then you've missed the opportunity of learning and hit that draw, learning how to, to change your game, learning how to enjoy the reality of the goodness of what God has in store for you. But I can't do that for you. And I have good news, you can't do that by yourself. Good news is that the Lord has given us his spirit and he wants to equip you and empower you. You see, most of what the gospel message is in the Western church has been become about a conversion message. That when you pray this prayer and that you're able to then give your sins to Jesus and be forgiven of your sins, then you can go into heaven one day when you die. And that is good news, but that is a half of the gospel. The full reality of the gospel is that now there is this kingdom that is available for you and I to walk in. And that kingdom comes with a power to be able to have authority over things in this world. To be able to walk in and, and, and live a life differently than you lived before, right? It also brings with it, and this is where we miss it so often, it brings with it the spirit that comes to lead us in this process of sanctification where we get to change and our character gets to be transformed to look like and be like and become like Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be a disciple. You see, a disciple longs to be with and become like the one that they're following. And so I have to ask you this morning, what is your desire in coming to church? Why are you here? Did you come to experience the goodness of what it's like to swim in water? Or did you come to, to join God in being empowered by his spirit to go out into the world and to watch him and to risk him and to live out a life of faith and to watch him show up and watch him do works through you that you couldn't even imagine today you get to witness tomorrow because you're just living your life to become like Jesus Christ. And just throughout the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus saying, I simply do what I see my father doing and say what I hear my father saying. So part of my challenge to you this morning, there, and from my perspective, there has to be a little bit of a how in this from me to you as encouragement. For some of you, this is just going to be you know, the same story. For, for others of you, it may, be, it may be completely new because I think a lot of times we get caught up on, on being able to speak to the Word of God without inviting you or helping share with you how to apply it into your life. So if Jesus, if our goal, if our desire is to be his disciples and is to be with him, to become like him, then there has to be this reality of how do we learn to do that and how are we as the church and as pastors leading and teaching and training and equipping you people to be able to do that so that when you do go out of the walls that then you're living in that kingdom reality because the kingdom is available wherever you are and wherever you're living to be obedient to his governance. But where we're living our lives outside of continuing to just live in the governance of that spirit, then we're missing taking the kingdom into the life that God's called us to have. 
I saw something on the internet this week, some NFL player, I didn't click on the article, but I thought it was an interesting question, do, do fish get thirsty, right? And I thought, what a crazy question, I don't know what the article is about, but I thought about it, well, a fish gets thirsty if it's out of water, and there's a world out there that's a dry stream, and God's called you to be a river. God's called you to be a river. And in order for you to take this water that he's giving you, this beautiful thing, this beautiful place of who he's, who he's called you to be in this, this time of worship, in this time of connecting in the presence of God, in order to be able to go there, then we have to know, understand how we're to go there. You see, this reality is that there, there's, you, in order to understand Christianity, you ought to understand kingdoms. And there's this kingdom that Jesus brought from heaven to earth and is now available to you and to me. And it's great to look at and say, okay, these are the things that the kingdom is about. And we understand things about the kingdom of God. But if you really want to learn how to walk in the kingdom of God, then you've got to understand and see your own kingdom. You see, the reality is your kingdom, where you rule and where you govern your life, is the greatest hindrance to the kingdom of God coming in your life and to the lives of those that God loves and wants to love through you. So friends, if we really want to learn how to walk in the kingdom, then we have to learn how to walk a life reflectively with the Spirit of God, inviting Him to show us how we're living in our own kingdom. That's what Jesus brings in that challenge points it out and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you do not have in mind the things of God, but instead the things of man. He exposed this reality that Peter was living in and speaking out of, and it should have been this loving correction that Peter received, and I believe it was. But you see, we have to live and desire and invite the Lord to show us and and show us reflectively the things within our hearts where we're not living in accordance with the kingdom of God. And the greatest way to be able to see the kingdom of God in our own lives is to start to, to recognize how we're living in our own kingdom. You want a kingdom moment? You probably won't make it an hour out of this building without finding one. Let somebody cut you off in the parking lot and get ahead of you and get out the door quicker or let me talk a little extra long and you'll be like, okay, my kingdom's getting a little offended here because I'm getting hungry, right? And I can talk for hours, trust me. I could get you, if you don't get hungry, then I'll keep talking until you get hungry, right? But at some point, your kingdom's going to be offended because things aren't going the way you want them. The reality is the vast majority of the tension, the stress, and the conflict that you have in your life. Anybody experience any stress this week? It was because of your kingdom. It's because of your will that's not being done on earth the way you want it done. Now that comes with a challenge. But hopefully you're tired of hitting that slice. Hopefully you're tired of just being able to manage and maybe have a good day every now and then. Because if you can learn how to hit a draw, if you can learn how to to do something differently, then you can control that other piece. And the the reality is, is that when Jesus is speaking, he's always making it a heart issue. He's always making it about a motivation of the heart. And I can only invite your heart to a place of desiring something more. Because where you desire to live in the reality of your own kingdom, you're going to act. Take whatever action you've done this week, and it's most likely because you were acting out of a desire that you had. Hopefully, for most of you, that was a good desire, 
Oftentimes, it can be a sin in our life that we acted out on and was a bad desire, and we say, well, we don't, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to, to look at that thing, or I don't want to do this thing, or I don't want to be crude or rude or mean or angry. I have this anger within me that I don't know what to do. I don't mean to yell. I don't mean to cuss at the person who cut me off in line. It just comes out of who I am. Well, the reality is you're doing that because you're living in the reality, and I'm doing that when I'm living in the reality of my own kingdom because when we get angry, it's because our will got crossed. And God wants to teach you and to lead you into desiring to live differently than how you lived yesterday. And that's the good news of the gospel because he came and he came to bring a kingdom that's available for you and I to walk in, for you and I to live in. Wow, that was just a warm-up. I hadn't even looked at my notes yet. In order to understand the two kingdoms, it leads us to be able to recognize that there are two landscapes that we live in. Again, this is a little bit of a how. That there's the landscape of the way that you and I have grown up living and knowing and understanding. And that is, you know, whatever is rational, whatever is logical, whatever is reasonable to us, whatever we think, whatever we judge, whatever our perspective on a situation is, is what deems to be right. And we live our life with full of opinions. Opinions are like elbows and everybody's got a couple. I do too, Right? And so we got, our own, we got our own opinions. We have our own perspective. We have our own way that we imagine and judge and expect things to live by. And Jesus' Jesus, great news in the gospel is, is to say, hey, I came and brought with me a kingdom that you can live in and experience as a reality, and you don't have to live your life managing your own kingdom anymore. You get to surrender your kingdom and the stress that comes with your kingdom and live in the reality of my kingdom where you don't have to worry about judgment. Where you don't have to live in concern for what your opinion on something is. You can live in a peace because I want to be the spirit. And I want to send my spirit to govern you and direct you and guide to you and be your counselor. But friends, where we're living in accordance with our own kingdom, then we're holding back the reality of living in the kingdom that God has in store for you and for me. Where we continue to hold on to our own opinions and that disruption creates a stress and a pressure in our life, then we're finding ourselves missing the reality of what God's calling us to. I'm not saying that recognizing those moments of tension and stress are bad. I'm actually saying those are good because that's the opportunity to learn how to walk in the kingdom is that you start recognizing your own kingdom. You say, okay, I'm really upset with this person's opinion and what they think and how this is going because that's not the way I want to do it. And it's an invitation. It's a telltale light. It's a buzzer going off and saying, so do you want to give me your kingdom? Why don't you trust me with that? You see, a big part of us walking in our own kingdom is that we are not walking and learning how to trust God to be God in the moment. We're not walking in and trusting God, to be God, and to be present, and for up there to come down here in this moment. And so we're holding on to our perspective, and we're holding on to our way, and it just creates that tension, and it is not the abundant life that Jesus came to give. He said, I came that you might have zoe and have it in abundance. It is not a bios that he spoke to. It is not a biological life that Jesus was addressing. It was a spiritual life. It was a zoe life in Greek. 
I came that you might have a, a spiritual life in abundance. And so the church, in order to be the river outside this wall, we as a people individually have to be empowered and equipped in learning how to walk in the reality of this kingdom that has now come. That means that there's a growth. That means there's an investment. That means there's an opportunity for you and I to be hungry for something more. There's a Pharisee in every one of us. And the more we try to hold that back and say that, no, that's not really true, I'm good, then I think we're missing something. You see, the, the heart behind Phariseeism is that you can, you can check a box. Phariseeism always wants to be able to check a box and say, I'm good, right? I mean, a couple things are true. Jesus is good, and if I take my boys to a buffet, they're going to eat. I've got two teenage boys, right? And if I took them to Longhorn, I'm not going to hear out of them, I'm good. You see, I'm good's what you say when you're already full, right? And if I take my teenage boys to Longhorn, they're going to say, yeah, I'll have the, the surf and turf, please. It doesn't matter how much they've eaten that day. Like, if you've been with teenage boys, you've got teenage boys, you know, it doesn't matter what they've eaten. You know, if food's available, it's going to be, it's, okay. And so my encouragement to you is, is to start recognizing to look at your life reflectively and begin inviting the Holy Spirit to show us where we're living in our own kingdom, where we're living, and that Pharisee within each of us, that nature we're born into, is trying to check a box, and, and that comes in the form of justification. And we look at our lives and we, 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 we look at our spiritual life and say, you know what, I'm in a really good place right now. And you hear you know, a pastor talk about there's something more, and you're like, I'm good. That's plagued the Western church. Because God's desire is to be a river that is taken out into the world. You see, the, the, the church is a place to come find life, but the church ideally should be a place to give life. And the Lord wants to begin giving life. How are, and so that means that you and I have to learn. How do we apply this truth? How do we live in accordance with Jesus' teaching? How do we take the things that Jesus said and, and live in accordance with them that that's the true reality? Because Jesus is not making this life about this life if you're a Christian. It's one of the secrets in the kingdom is that this life's not about this life. This life is, is but, a, but an opportunity to begin living in reality of what is going to last for eternity. And if we're waiting for what is going to happen in eternity to happen now, then we're missing the good things that God has in store for you and for me. So how do we do this? Then we have to recognize these two kingdoms because it creates two landscapes. You see, the landscape of the world that you and I grew up in is, again, logic, reason, intellect. What do I think? How do I feel? What does this look like to me? And we begin learning how to, to grow blind to the landscape of self and become alive to the landscape of the spirit. And we begin to see things differently. We begin to imagine things. And we begin to, to see and recognize what's going on in a person's heart at work. You know, I don't know what a good day looks like for you, but for, for a lot of people, in the Western church, you know, a good day meant that you went to work and, and you avoid conflict with that guy, John, who just really makes you mad. And John wasn't there today, so today was a good day because I avoided John. I'm sick of John, and I don't want to go to work because I don't like John anymore. And when John walks in the room, it just ruins my attitude, right? And so, you know, I'm, I'm done with, I don't like work. And when John's not there, everybody's happy. So John's the problem. And so maybe it's a good day for you when you come home and your wife asks you, how are you doing? I'm good. John wasn't at work today. Who is your John or what is your John? Because ultimately, your, your John doesn't matter. 
Your John's but an opportunity for the kingdom of God to come and to, and to create in you an opportunity for John, to create in you an opportunity to, to change and for your character to be shaped to become like Christ and then to walk in the reality of the kingdom of God and welcome the empowerment of God because you are, you, wherever your feet are going, when you're living your life to live in obedience with his rule and his governance, then you just brought the kingdom of God with you. And where you and I are living our lives to, for wherever our feet to go to try to bring our opinion, our perspective to the thing, then, then we are missing the kingdom of God. And hopefully you're beginning to hear this as an opportunity to, to recognize maybe how to cure that slice and turn it into a draw. Because God has something more, not just for you, but for them. You see, there's there, this, this reality of what God desires for you and I to experience out there, and it's a life of faith where there's a risk involved that costs us something. But because we love John, and because there's a new love within us for John, we're willing to risk in this opportunity because we're learning to recognize where the Spirit is moving and the things that he's calling us to because we're learning and we're growing how to live in the sight of the second landscape. But in order to do that, we have to start recognizing how much we have been living according to that first landscape. It's not just enough to look at the good things of God and say, okay, I'm good. I like that. God has a plan for you and for me to be able to experience the goodness and the power of who he is. Where there are miracles and signs and wonders happening through you in your life and into other people's lives. Can I get an amen to that? Now that's a good thing. But there's more. You see, Jesus' plan is not just that he didn't just come so that you and I could, could know him. That's good. So that you and I could experience miracles and signs and wonders. Those are a good thing. Those are a beautiful thing. But Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 7. We're just now getting to the passage, so I hope you're getting hungry. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, it would be very natural for you and I to look at the, a person who is experiencing signs and wonders, who's driving out demons, who's... who's who's prophesying and doing these supernatural things. And obviously, if they're doing that, they must be living in accordance with, with God and his power because these things are supernatural. And Jesus looks at them, and he's, and he's calling that out. It is, it is, you don't find your value. You don't find your righteousness. You don't find your justification because signs and wonders and miracles, Riverstone, are happening here. You find your value not just in knowing God, You find your place in the kingdom when God is knowing you. And that's my second challenge for you. Have you been living your life to come into a place that God knows you? Not just that you know God, that's good, but there's more. Are you learning how to walk in the reality of inviting God to come know you? Because that's intimacy. Intimacy in any relationship is founded in trust. And there are times where God's going to challenge us 
and push us in faith to trust him beyond what we've known before. And every time that that's happening, it's an invitation from his heart to your heart and to my heart to say, I want more of who you are. And we're living our life to find that. Because, friends, where that becomes our great desire, then we will find ourselves living in the reality of the kingdom. We will find ourselves dying to daily, living in the reality of our own kingdom and trying to have our own ways and just keep managing things ourselves. But you see, Jesus' desire is that he would know you. Now, I'm not talking about God in the sense, this omniscient aspect that God knows everything. God knows the number of hairs on your head. Yes, that's a fact. That's true. That's real. But there's a difference in having an understanding or a knowledge of something and having an, a, a biblical knowledge of a thing. And, and anytime we see this word knowledge in Scripture, it has to do with experience. It has to do with interaction. It has to do with an encounter. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. That's not the issue. He's saying, but I didn't know you. And that's about intimacy. That's an, an intimacy is founded in trust. And the way that I was with a friend a couple weeks ago in Jacksonville, and, and maybe you've heard this. I, I had not heard it before. And it was just so true. It's so real. And it's, a, it's the heart of this message that I want you to hear today. She was saying, intimacy is into me, you see. Are you living your life daily to come before God and say, I trust you. You know me better than I know myself. And I want you to look into me and tell me what you see. Because, friends, where we miss that, we've missed the kingdom. We've missed the tender heart of God that wants to live interactively with you. That you he came so that you and I could experience the kingdom and live in the kingdom reality from now to eternity and you don't have to wait on it. But step number one is, are we growing and we're learning to be reflective and we're learning to live and according to the second landscape, are we learning to recognize our own little kingdom and learn, learning how to die to that kingdom and learn how to see that kingdom and learn how to recognize and, 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 and see these tensions that we have, that we look at Jesus Christ and we hear him say, I simply do what I see the Father doing and say what I hear the Father saying. Are we living that way? Are we living to grow in, in such a connection with the Spirit that we can say that same thing, that I simply want to do what... I see my father doing and say what I hear my father saying. And we are people of his heart that desire more than anything else to live intimately with him. Because in a relationship where both parties desire intimacy, then it is a true, rich, real relationship. It is life-giving. So into me, Lord, you can see. I think you need to wrestle with what are the things that are scary about that for you and for me. We don't have time to go into it. But what are the things that where that might be a scary place? Because that's going to expose where the enemy has, has twisted something that you may perceive that God is one way and that that's a hard place or that's a sensitive place or you may have wounds or issues in your life or from your past that like makes opening yourself up to anybody, even God, you know, a hard thing because it's an uncomfortable, uncomfortable thing. But I'm just telling you that he's only good and he's only loving. And he has something great for you and for me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and the ministry teams to come forward. In Genesis Chapter 2, back in the very beginning, 
Chapter 3 is where sin enters, the fall of man. In the last verse in chapter 2, I'll read the last two verses. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Oftentimes, the the very thing that holds us back from being able to come before the Lord and be naked before him is the shame of things that we've been a part of or the, or the tension of, of our own little kingdoms that are scared of how living, I've been living so much in accordance with my own kingdom, it makes me fearful of opening myself to you because I know that there's disappointment there. But in the way that the Lord intended us to have a relationship with him, there was no shame. And so if you're going to live in the reality of the kingdom, then you're going to live in the reality of learning how to not have shame before the Lord. Because the shame, the things, the the fears have been paid for. And you're able to let the Spirit lead you to a place that you can be naked and vulnerable and unafraid in the presence of God. Because there are things that he wants to speak to in you. There are things that he wants to heal and address. And he's going to make you a river in the relationships that you have. So my question is, what do you desire? Because for Jesus, it always came down to the motivation and the desire. What do you desire? Because I can tell you, every one of us somehow came here today with a desire. Maybe you didn't recognize it. Just like you may go to work. You say, well, I don't desire to go to work, and I'm, I'm going to work anyway. You know, my actions are beyond that. Well, you're going to work because you do have a desire. You have a deeper desire. You have a desire to pay your bills. You have a desire to provide for your, for your family. I don't think you'll find many connections of your actions that aren't connected to a desire within you. And my question for you, church, is what is your desire? Is it to come and swim, or is it to go be a river? Because where you choose to live and walk in the reality of being obedient and allowing the Lord to govern your life, you will take with you the kingdom. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And you'll watch and you'll be amazed at the good things that God wants to do through you. And that's my challenge for you. Part two of that challenge is, that is good, but there is more. And the more comes from who Tom Tanner showed me that Christians could be something more than what I'd ever seen. I grew up in the church, and when I met Tom, something changed because I saw a man who, who, who encountered the presence of God and lived in the reality of the presence of God, and it changed me because I'd never seen anybody be there before. When Tom speaks in a declarative tone, you've heard it, kind of gets his jaw just right. Right, And whenever that happens, you get ready because the declarative thing that's about to happen next, it didn't just come from Tom. It came from a man who has been with the Lord and is just speaking out of what he sees because he spends a good portion of his time living in that place. And so it's natural to be able to live in that place and then to speak profound things in this world. And God wants you to be like What's your desire? So my challenge before you this morning is that you don't check a box, that you don't let that Pharisee continue to live, 
but that you hear something valuable, something more in this message, and that your heart can become hungry for something more, because when that happens, then the dam will break and the river will flow. That's not River City's, I mean, Riverstone's staff role. They can help, but that's your heart's role. My question is, where are you today? And what do you desire? Because God has something good. The teams are here and would love to pray with you. And I would love for you to take this moment because really the good things that begin to happen in our lives begin from the function of this one word. And you ready for this? Here's a challenge. It comes from the first step is a step to repent. And that's a great word. That's a beautiful word. That is a word that is so full of hope and so full of life that you don't want anything but that. Repent is what breaks the dam and allows things to flow. So my challenge for you this morning is repent. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. That's what the word means, metaneo in in the Greek. It means change your thinking from how you've been thinking into a new way of thinking because that new way of thinking is going to change to a new way of living. And that new way of living is going to not just affect you, it's going to affect every relationship that you're in. That's the value of the kingdom, and it starts with repentance. For the kingdom of God has come, and that's the invitation to you. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what level of heaven you've seen or what place you've prayed into, the invitation right now is to repent and change your thinking because there's always more with an infinite God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to come, and, and hopefully these people have been able to hear how good you are, how much you love us, and how much your heart is crying out to say, would you just invite? Would you just hold your hands up, open your heart, and say, into me, come and see. Would you lead us into the the vision and the reality of all that you came to bring? Not just salvation as, as we know it as forgiveness of sin, but salvation that brings with it a power, that salvation that brings with it a, a character transformation, and salvation that comes with a a freedom from the things of this world that have held us bound. So free, transform, and empower us, Lord, to be your vessels in this world. In Jesus' name.